On today's episode, I'm joined by an epidemiologist and clinical associate professor at Brown University. As a doctor, he has testified as an expert witness in over 600 cases against the world's largest corporations and has recovered billions of dollars for injured and sick workers and consumers. He goes into detail about his current cases and explains effective ways that society can regain its power and health back from the grips of industry giants. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. David Eagleman, and this is Uncovering the Truth. I just want to start out with a, a simple question. You know, how much trust should we be placing in our federal regulatory agencies to protect us from unsafe products that hit the marketplace or from unsafe work environments that we are told are okay to work in? Um, on a scale of uh, zero to 100, maybe a four. A four. That is. Remember, there's, that about, is... there's about 180,000 chemicals in commerce, and the Occupational Safety and Health Administration has standards for about 30 of them. For about okay, 30. So, yeah, so I actually, if you figure as a percentage of what's out there, Four gives them too much credit. Should be like 0.004, um, or 0.04. So, and then you know the FDA is completely captured by pharma. As you know, the FDA pharmaceutical regulation is funded by pharma. You know, generally, uh, you know the uh, person who pays the piper picks mm -hmm. the tune. And the pharmaceutical companies are picking the tune with the FDA. When um, you just really quickly there, you said the uh, the FDA is funded by big pharma. I think a lot of us are under the um, perception that our taxpayer money goes to funding the FDA, not the corporations. But that is a misnomer. That is a misperception. Am I correct? Is it about that user fees? Yeah, I think. Yeah, user fees pay, I think, about 80 or 90% of the FDA budget. So, you know, if you if I was paying you 80 or 90% of this podcast, I'd probably look a lot better in this video. Um, <laughs> you look good now. <laughs> but wait, hang on. So th that is an absurdly low four out of a thousand. But these are, again, I just want to reemphasize, these are the companies that are supposed to be regulating the industries but from from where i read you know and you have your book that you contributed to corporate ties that bind this includes the epa the fda the department of agriculture what do we do as a society where where there's nobody there's no watchdog to look after us oh the system needs to be fixed and the way to fix it is for people who get screwed people who get mesothelioma people from talc or ovarian cancer from talc or get cancer from exposure to uh, glyphosate, they all need to organize. They need to copy exactly what the NRA system is. The NRA is the most effective public health organization in the country. That's right, the National Rifle Association. Public health. Because remember, they have a public health message. You prevent a guy with a gun with a gun. With a, a bad guy with a gun gets blocked by a good guy with a gun. 
That's a public health message. And their way of organizing, they have local chapters and they have a national organization. That local national organization is how they effectively prevent Congress from even conceiving of alternative approaches to gun control. So that method of public health from the grassroots up needs to be copied by regular people. You need to organize locally. It doesn't take much. The NRA is not that big and it doesn't have that big a budget. But you put 30 or 50 people in a congressional office once a week, it makes a difference. Um, and so that needs that method of organizing needs to be copied by the public for the public interest. But you say, but it seems to me that we as a uh, collective body, you know, the quote unquote, we are the masses. We don't have the time, the resource or the resources to organize and effectively communicate and to counteract this sort of um, the, the advertisements from it, whether it's the NRA or the big pharma who, who have just so much money to bombard us now, especially through social media advertising. Isn't that asking so much of us as consumers of our own time and, and free will to combat these forces? There, there seems to be no legal system or proper agency in place that is supposed to do the job for us that we in fact pay for with our tax dollars. Well, if you, it's called democracy. Democracy is a participation sport. It is not couch time in front of the NFL games on Sunday. If people don't participate, they're left with what we have. The idea is if you organize enough and you put enough political pressure on, those agencies will act in the interest of the public and not their corporate funders. And there's no other solution. I'm sorry, you know, I wish I could give you a magic wand. I could tell you that we can hire somebody, you know, that that uh, the Democrats will be better than the Republicans. And, you know, and they are slightly better, but not, not dramatically better. <laughs> and it'll make a difference because it turns around the next time someone like Trump gets elected, you know, the, the regulations go away. So the only way to have things work in the public interest is for the public to promote their own interests in an organized way. And yeah, it may take some time, but a lot of people have been are motivated, particularly people who've been screwed. Right. Talk to women who've gotten ovarian cancer and their relatives from using talc. They're not happy people. They would organize if they knew how to do it. If they were educated in how to capture the public mind. I don't think it's that hard to do. It's just no one's educated them in how to do it. Now, you speak there about talc, and I know you currently serve as an expert witness on the case against Johnson & Johnson's baby powder, which contained asbestos, which led to ovarian cancer. And not only has billions of dollars been won back to the victims, what I'm most shocked about with this whole case, which you were a part of, and I'd love to hear your, your insights about this, is that they knew about this asbestos in the talc mines that they had purchased in Vermont in the six, late 60s. And yet here we are in 2022, nearly 50 years later, and they still 
haven't been fully held accountable. That is 50 years of people using this product. So how is it possible that this company was able to use a product that they knowingly had asbestos in it, which is now correlated and linked to cancer? How, how did that get well, past everything for 50 years? Well, you know, there was an organized campaign by Johnson & Johnson and the other talc uh, cartel, because it was really a cartel of, um, of companies that got together and, and paid medical researchers to do papers secretly, to do editorials, and then they lobbied. They got the, in the early 70s, J&J writes to the FDA and says, hey, can we send you some stuff? So if there's a FOIA submitted, you'll send our stuff out to people who get who ask for stuff so they get our views on what's going on. And the FDA agreed to do that. Oh. So the FDA <laughs> essentially agreed to, to be the, to put the uh, sheep's clothing over the wolf's information and send it out and make it look like it was a government position. So, I mean, that's just one example. But right. there are many. Uh, the juries don't give large amounts of money unless the conduct is really bad. And their mm. conduct was really bad. And you know, it continues to be really bad. You know, they, I don't know if you're aware of this, but they're not paying anybody anymore. They, they put their $400 billion company into bankruptcy or trying to. Mm -hmm. and, and in order to not pay any claims. So all of the lawsuits against J&J have been stopped for almost a year uh, because they're trying to hide their money in bankruptcy. So they, they've created... They created, a, they, put, they put the liabilities, don't you wish you could do this, <laughs> into another corporation and made that corporation bankrupt and kept all the assets. So the $60 billion in assets that the Consumer Products Division had, they kept. And they put $2 billion into this little nothing company and declared bankruptcy. And now you Quite have- a game if you can do it. I mean, oh, you know, if, yeah. if everybody, I mean, you know, it, it's, if anybody has any debts out there, you can go look up the Johnson & Johnson pleadings and see if you can set up a, it's called a Texas two-step, set up a, uh, split the company, split yourself into a company, put your assets into another company, make that go bankrupt, and you walk away with all the money. Yeah, the Texas two-step. The Texas two-step. And, well, I think not only do they make money and save face and shield themselves from prosecutions, but now, correct me if I'm wrong here, there are patients on their deathbed who are waiting, and the families of them waiting for this litigation to happen and now it's installed they are they are dying while they wait and they're losing their chance to go to court while they're alive which should be a right in most courts if you're dying of the of a disease even if it's not related to what you're suing about in this case it is related mm -hmm. you get an expedited trial because the courts recognize that you have a right to be heard in court while you're alive. So by doing this Texas two-step trick, it's based on a Texas law, unsurprisingly, hmm. um, they, they've been able to get away with not, not 
having any trials and people are not waiting, they're dying while they wait. And they're not being able to be given depositions so that their testimony can be preserved because J&J refuses to participate in preservation depositions. So these people are really getting screwed and the judge is letting J&J get away with it. And also these people also have to pay for, for in the cases of retaining lawyers, which costs money. And that's something, something you talk about. They don't have to pay for the lawyers. The lawyers do it for a piece of the action. Oh, okay. And it doesn't cost money to file a lawsuit in the United States. The lawyers uh, pay the pay the expenses upfront the expenses, and they take one third to forty percent, sometimes as much as fifty percent of whatever is uh, given by the jury if they win. Oh, and man. if they lose, the lawyer eats it. Oh, okay, so there's a big risk there. I mean, they do need a lawyer. Um, I but th- this brings me to a point that I you fascinated me in your. The class you teach at Brown, the science and power, the corruption of public health, you talk about exposing capitalist externalities. And I never thought about that. And I'd love to hear you just talk about that. We are essentially paying for the environmental and potential public health damage that these corporations are bringing into our world. Correct. You see, if a company buys steel or pays needs electricity, they pay for that. And that's some of the costs of making the product. But if they pollute the environment and people get sick, they don't pay for those illnesses. Unless in in the rare case, they get caught in those lawsuits. If they create global warming or pollution, they don't pay those costs. Those costs are borne by the people in Louisiana getting flooded. Well, the people in Florida are going to get that big hurricane soon. Mm. If they produce a consumer product that makes people sick, that's an externalized cost. All of these three things are externalized costs. In other words, the company doesn't have to pay the costs of making someone with who uses talc get ovarian cancer. That's a big cost. Mm-hmm. They don't have to pay that cost, but for a lawsuit. And so that's, it's, I mean, it's an economic principle. It's the reason capitalism doesn't work. It's the reason you need regulations. It's the reason you need more than regulations. You need an active population fighting for public health for themselves and their relatives because the capitalist system doesn't account for those costs. No, unless of course, the science can prove that their company is causing this damage. But then like you've said multiple times, these corporations are now hiring team science teams and research to prove the very studies that show that their companies aren't causing this damage, even though they are. There's a huge industry of companies that just do, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars, probably 30 or 40 or 50 companies who just produce research for for corporations to avoid regulation and costs of litigation. And a lot of what I've published is how they lie, cheat, and steal in the published papers that they write. Wow. But the problem is that, and again, this is a part of capitalism too, in a sense, they're getting paid 
much more money by these corporations to do this research than if they were to be government funded scientific research or well, the government's not funding any of that research government hasn't funded a penny on on talc they don't fund anything on consumer products and but, so i mean there's but, small amounts of funding in in occupational environmental health but not mm -hmm. not not the kind of money that companies throw into trying to prove or not prove, trying to make up data and studies that show that whatever product they make isn't harmful. Wow. <laughs> it's just, this is, this is very su surprising and quite disturbing, I'm sure, for the it's people. It's big business. Listening. Trust me, it's big business. So it's just corp it's just no different. It's bottom line. And I know you, you have a quote where you say, it's not just a few bad apples, the whole barrel is rotten. Correct. And it, and to me, it, it seems that, you know, without the federal agencies and with the corporations who have much significantly larger budgets and funding versus the federal agencies, we're doomed. But I don't like to think that we're doomed, but we need to educate You're not ourselves. Doomed. You're not doomed. You need to get off of the couch, go to Starbucks, meet with five or 10 people and start an organization that lobbies your congressman to make sure that the regulatory agencies are doing their job. Hmm. You have to do that in every town and city in the country. Right. And then have a national organization that will give you legislation that can be passed and promises that can be pledged to like Grover Norquist has. So that if a, if a congressman won't sign a pledge saying I'm going to double EPA funding, or I'm going to make sure the FDA is not relying on corporate money, mm -hmm. then you're going to fight, you're going to, you know, give your support to the other candidate. That's a Grover Norquist, you know, organizational style. Well, I like that. It's just, it's interesting to me that um, if they cut off corporate funding from the FDA, well, now they've got no money. Because if you said 80% of their funding comes from these That's corporations. Correct. They got to get money from taxpayers. Because he who pays, he who pays the piper chooses the tune. There's no, no better, simpler statement than that. I want to uh, shift over to a something in your lecture you gave at Harvard Business School. In the first couple of slides, you said that Brown does not stand by your research or want to get near it. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but how is it possible that you as a Brown professor are, you know, you're, you've served in over 600 expert witness cases and you've won billions of dollars. Why wouldn't they want to stand by your research, which is proven to weed out corruption and say and help us sick families? Well, Brown's board, Brown's funding comes from corporations. Brown actually, in a bizarre twist, sent me a cease and desist letter telling me I shouldn't put down that I'm affiliated with Brown even though I'm on the faculty when I published papers. It was bizarre. The faculty, I filed a grievance, grievance committee found for me and the president of the university who has the final say ignored the grievance committee conclusions. And at the same time, my course was canceled and the people in the department where I was teaching the course then 
were told I was going to get thrown off the faculty. But because of the sink and the faculty grievance, I'm still on the faculty. Yeah, but that, that, but let me just put this into context. The medical school, which is, you know, all about teaching students and young people to properly use medicine and become doctors and scientists, right? They are, they were punishing you for protecting victims of the big pharmaceutical companies and corporations. Am I getting that right? They were, yes. In the particular instance, they were, they were punishing me because I revealed that Johnson & Johnson had, had lied in a published papers concerning the safety of their hips. There's a metal on metal hip called a pinnacle hip. Now I might add that Johnson & Johnson even agrees with me since they took the hip off the market eventually oh, wow. after they injured enough people and made enough money. So it's, there's no question that the hip didn't work. Okay, and there's no question that they didn't do give proper informed consent and that they cheated the study. They cut and pasted data from one study into another study in a bizarre method. So, Johnson so. and Johnson again. Johnson, 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 Johnson again, yes. The baby, baby powder and then the, the knee, that's right, the metal putting inside her knee. Metal that hips. Hips. Metal hips. And, right, and also their antipsychotic has killed lots of people. How so? Or that's well, a big the question. Antipsychotics, but... The antipsychotics are probably the most dangerous medicine on the market, the second line antipsychotics. Um, yeah, there's a black box warning that says if you give it to someone with dementia, you increase their death rate by two to three fold. And the companies target marketed it for dementia in nursing homes. So there's no, there's, a, there's some estimates of between 100,000 and I think 500,000 deaths at least from using that. And after, after they marketed it that way, when they, they most of them paid the Department of Justice fines for illegal marketing. This, it still sucks. So they still have billions of dollars in sales to that target because the, the Justice Department never made them go around saying, hey, you know, we lied about telling you this should be used for people with dementia. Hmm. So they didn't pay one, one penny to correct the misinformation. They spent billions of dollars providing physicians and nurses around the country. And so it still sticks. And so lots of people with dementia are still being treated with antipsychotics and they are dying as a result of that treatment, which does not work for the dementia. Wow, and is it what, the specific name of this treatment or antipsychotics in general? There's, it's, all, it's all the second line antipsychotics. My goodness, because I saw that you actually, you know, you, you were you were praised for this. And I think many people praise you for you had to pay Eli Lilly and company $100,000 because you leaked, quote unquote, confidential materials to an Alaska lawyer who then published those findings in the New York Times. But then that led to 30 states subpoenaing that information and it led to 1.4 billion dollars worth of settlements 
So in other words, you broke the quote unquote federal law, but you saved lives and retrieved money. For well, I violated a confidentiality order. Confidentiality. Yeah. Sorry. Not law there. That's my mistake. I violated a confidentiality order. Technically. That's what the judge said. Mm -hmm. um, so, but you see, as I said, I took an oath when I became a physician to protect patients and public health. Um, and so I had, and I never signed that confidentiality order, although I got it. So I felt that my oath to protect public health was more important than any confidentiality order that was hiding information that the companies were doing something that they eventually paid. I got to be very careful what I say it. That yeah. they eventually paid fines for doing. Hmm. Well, that to me just seems again. It's a reflection of what you said about the way our system is set up to be a good person and to be a justice warrior. In a sense, you're going to have to pay a giant price or a potential you know, legal consequences or big hefty fines that are placed in front of you to prevent you from doing that? Well, you may, most people don't do what I did. So no, not too many people have been punished for violating gag orders like that. Right. Because not too many people violate those orders. No, but because they can't, but because, but, but they, though they should, if it's to save, like, you know, it's a psychologist's duty it to warn. my view that they should do that. Yes. But you know, it's, it was no fun risking going to jail. No. And, um, you know, it was, it would have been, oh, wow. I was at risk for going to jail, not being fine. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a settlement with Lily. So right. they would stop pursuing the efforts that they had to put me in jail. Mm -hmm. I want to, so th th this, again, if we're talking about corporations here and they're the, the alleged nefarious practices that they deploy, you actually wrote in the chapter, you contributed to the book, corporate ties that bind. You wrote about how GM Ford and Chrysler used a, they conducted a over $50 million study that basically said that uh, contract workers who were working on tires, who were working around asbestos, who some brakes, of them acquired- Brakes, they were doing brakes. Brakes, brakes. I was wondering if you could- Brakes were made out of asbestos. Brakes were made out of asbestos. And basically they qualified them as contract workers. So they didn't have to put them, list them as exposed employees. But then the people they said were exposed employees were some of the no, no, lawyers. No, no, that's a different study. That's a different study. That's that's, that's a benzene oil company study. Okay. Oh, okay. I, could, so that, I, so I'm that, sorry there's, there. There's a lot of these. There's a lot of these. It's easy I, to get confused. Yeah, I'm, I guess in I'm that study, In that it. study, in that study, the researcher, so, so in the oil industry, yeah. um, you know, there's big tanks. We've seen pictures of tanks, chemical tanks. Mm -hmm. Those tanks in the industry were generally not cleaned if it was, you know, some oil company X. It wasn't employees of X who got into to the tanks 
and had the highest exposures cleaning the tanks. Mm. It was mom pa tank cleaning company that did that. Oh. And then they would do an epidemiologic study and those mom pa people who had lots of exposure and were most likely to get sick were in the control unexposed group. And the workers who were not really exposed on the plant because they didn't have the dirty jobs because mm -hmm. those are contracted out, less likely to get sick. So in fact, at the guy's deposition, it was kind of funny. There was a lawyer, for an inside lawyer for one of the companies who was sitting there. And he was actually a study subject considered exposed, but the mom, pa, kettle cleaning workers they were not considered employees. So you can you can mess up your study pretty quickly that way. I call that working the A box because the, the A box are exposed diseased individuals. Okay. And so if you move people from the exposed disease to the diseased unexposed, which is what they were doing, you get a flipped relationship. I mean, it'll look like working in the in the plant is safer than working outside. That's remarkable. That is, that is, I mean, so this kind of raises the question though, if that was planned in the fifties, that was a, that was a system that was developed in the fifties. Right. There was a memo about how to do that, how to have subcontractors do the dirty work so that this, because remember all the regulations about consumer exposures are based on the worker studies. So if you can corrupt the worker studies, then you can expose people in the general population as well, because it won't show how toxic the product is. Wow. And, and would you say, because this makes me think then, after reading about that manipulation, it, how many other corporations, and I know there's no answer, how many other corporations are deploying these tactics? Is it perhaps all of them? And how worried should we be as consumers or employees about dealing with or purchasing these products? Well, I mean, I can't tell you they make you sick if there's no studies that say they, that look at them. Of course. So it's it's an impossible question to answer. That's the problem. Yeah. Right. When there's 180,000 chemicals that haven't been studied, I can't tell you that they're making you sick or not making you sick. You need to have some study, some animal studies, some, you know, molecular study of bacterial mutation. You need something. <laughs> or you can, I mean, you need someone actually looking at it to see if it looks like some other chemical that causes cancer or heart disease. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this it's complicated. Well, it's very complicated because as, as, as lay people without, you know, I don't lack a medical degree, if you don't have the time to look at labels, because you believe the labels have been approved by the federal agencies um, it just, again, it comes back to, like you were saying, education and, and organization, but requires tons of, tons of effort. And I think should be taught more in our, in our universities, because I didn't learn about any of this at UCLA, I'll be honest. Well, well, if you want to know who's doing this, it's the Koch brothers. Go Google the Koch brothers. They have a whole organization doing local community organizing for the opposite purpose. For the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, with a lot of money behind them. So you can't tell me it's not doable because the Koch brothers are doing it. I think it's industry. called Americans for Progress or something like that. Some some 1984 name. 
Wow. And, and these are about the, these are talking about those third party front groups that you speak about. Correct? Right. But they're doing community organized. They're doing exactly what I said in the beginning of this little chat, mm -hmm. organizing local groups to lobby Congress, to let corporations off the hook, to allow them to sell products without testing, et cetera. And, and they're able to publish their studies online. And I wanted to get your opinion on this because now the social media sphere has been used to, you know, if I want to look up a study, millions of studies come up and usually the top ones are the ones funded by the companies themselves. They're able to pay and push for that fee, that slotting fee online. So how do we decipher, you know, which studies are industry funded and which studies are the, the truthful unbiased scientific studies because well, we're doing most a lot of, of the studies most of the studies if you look at the original studies they'll say who funded them not all of them but a lot of them mm -hmm. so that it won't say the company it'll say some consulting group to some lawyer who eventually you can figure out works for some company right sometimes they'll say this company's study was Exponent is one of the companies that does a lot of these studies and they'll say they got money from, you know, for General Motors or somebody else and it'll be in the paper. Mm. That's why just the local organization isn't enough. You need no. a superstructure of experts who can feed that information down to the local organizations. It's a national local consortium that needs to be done. It is. And uh, one more thing here that this you got to remember most of the most of the most of the public health. If you look at the NRDC or the Environmental Defense Fund, they don't organize at a local level to lobby congressmen. They organize just at a national level. They'll lobby Congress at a national level, but without a base of riled up citizens, you mm. can't move the ball. So pro protesting, in a, in a sense, does have merit. Not protesting, it's organized. It's different. It's organized. Mm -hmm. Organizing and then showing up. Showing up with, a, with, a, with a, a research paper put up by a national organization that calls for specific legislation to be passed. It's a package. Yeah. And demanding that the congressman sign a pledge to vote for the legislation. And until they sign the pledge, you show up every week mm -hmm. with 20 or 30 people. And do you believe in the uh, vote with your dollar theory that we can change this by simply just not like shopping at, you know, shopping for Johnson and Johnson products or other products? No, no, those never work. Those secondary boycotts, that, those are tertiary boycotts, really. They, do, they, they generally don't work. They don't work because they they trick you back into buying their products. You, you always buy the product. You don't know who's, I mean, you don't know what products are made by what company. <laughs> There's all kinds of names out there. Yeah. And one more quick thing to tie this back to education. And I, I, I've said this before, but it's just so, it, it, it irks me throughout the, the history textbooks that I read, the political science field that I studied, not once 
are corporations mentioned, even if you study the U.S. history here through the 60s to the, the early 2000s, yet they've played such an integral role in, in forming our society and behind the politicians, funding even the science, the research, the medicine. And I'm blown away when you say that Brown uh, themselves didn't want to stand by your, your findings here. How is well, I this? I don't care about standing by. They don't need to stand by. They don't need to try to shut me down. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but I don't, I don't need Brown. I don't need Brown to, to 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 verify what I say. Peer review does that, you know. Other than, there's a there's a there's a public domain that does that. Mm -hmm. I need them to not tell me to stop doing what I'm doing, not cancel my course, not try to impair my ability to publish papers. No, I think that's the opposite of what education is supposed to be. Um, and again, theoretically, after theoretically, the purpose of the university is to produce knowledge. And that's what I do when I publish papers. Yeah. Now, well, a lot of my papers are on corporate corruption of science. And I'm, I, I, I regret that. But unfortunately, that's a, that's a very, uh, shall we say, well-seated ground. There's lots of targets. Yep. And I, I think we are the targets, if I'm interpreting this correctly. You're the eventual <laughs> target, right? Yeah. Well, I, David, I hope you've gone over, you've testified as over 600 cases, and I hope you continue testifying because actually we need more voices to speak out against these sorts of practices because it doesn't seem like anybody else will at the federal level until we stand up and unite and and speak out against this correct if you enjoyed this episode don't forget to follow and subscribe to the show help spread the word about uncovering the truth by giving us a five-star review and sharing the show with a friend we're available on apple spotify youtube or wherever you listen to your podcasts thank you for listening and as always i will continue to uncover the truth the Uncovering the Truth theme song was created and produced by Pokari.